Evening, everyone. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Mark. I'm a senior pastor here at Hills Baptist. It's my privilege to preach the word to you tonight from Mark chapter 4. And uh, I'm ready to jump into it. So, uh, you guys ready? All right, let's do, uh, let's do it. Open up to uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you have a Bible, if not, it'll be on the screen. Um, thank you, Kiralee, for leading us and for the team. That's really beautiful. And for all those who are serving tonight in so many ways, we're privileged to just have so many people who serve us and bless us every week as a church. But Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When I uh, think about fear, um, one of the first things that I think about is, uh, oh, ah, mice. <laughs> um, I don't really like mice a whole lot. I don't know about you, but, but I'm rather fearful of mice. And uh, while I may come across as a confident and secure and bold leader, if a mice were to appear in the room right now, that that veneer would be broken very quickly. There was once a, a time when uh, my wife and I had gone away for the weekend and we returned home and walked into our house and looked at our fruit bowl and noticed that something had been eating our fruit while we were away. About five seconds later, my wife turned around and noticed something scurrying under the curtains near our back windows. Within seconds, both my wife and I were on top of the couch holding each other in fear. We then began a robust discussion about what we would do. We knew that we had to lay a trap for this mouse. We had a mouse trap. We laid the trap. We then retreated to uh, the bedroom where we just kind of like stood in fear, not knowing what would happen next. Ten minutes later, snap. The mousetrap went off. We, uh, we then had another, even more robust discussion about who would be the person to go and deal with the mouse. Now, you would know that most mousetraps, this is your classic wooden one with the spring, they're designed to be reusable, right? You, you're, yeah, right. That was not going to happen in this case. <laughs> there was no one going to the trouble of you know, picking up the mousetrap, removing the mouse and keeping that trap. It, the mousetrap was going straight in the bin. But we still had to decide who would be the one. And so there was, you know, it was like a, the great debate kind of thing, back and forth about the relative merits of who would, would do this. In the end, 
as the husband of the, of the household. I did the manly, you know, the only right thing that a man should do in that situation. Guys, I got my wife to do it. Okay. <laughs> That's a true story. And she did it. And I got away with it somehow. We all have our fears. At the heart of this passage is a key question. Why are you so afraid? Some of our fears are like the fear of a mouse, you know, they're kind of pathetic. But some of our fears are very real and they're very powerful, they're very serious and they have the power to do even what a little mouse did to my wife and I. They can take us from a situation where we're just going about life to a situation where we're kind of paralysed. They have a very detrimental effect on our lives. So I'm going to speak about fear tonight. But I'm also conscious in a, in a sermon that's about, you know, this powerful image of the storm and the boat in the storm. It's such a great, it's such a great passage to preach. It's probably a passage maybe you've heard about um, before. If you've been around church for a while, it's a kind of a classic story, the, the boat in the storm and Jesus calming the storm. And so we can get caught up in this story. Firstly, we can get caught up talking just about the storm and making the center of the story the storm. The center of the story is not the storm. Secondly, we can, um, we can get caught up in thinking that the centre of the story is about fear. And the centre of the story is not about fear, because if it's just about fear, that makes us and our feelings the centre of the story. So I want to start in the right place tonight and declare that the centre of this story is Jesus. This is a story about Jesus being revealed for who he really is. We see for the first time, uh, we get really the full picture of who Jesus is. And the disciples for the first time get that picture. You see, the disciples have seen Jesus be a great teacher. And they've been amazed, as have others, with the teaching of Jesus. They've seen him cast out demons. And they've been amazed by that. They've seen him heal people, many people. And they've been amazed by that. But in this story, we're going to see for the first time ever, Jesus, they get a revelation of who Jesus is to the extent where they are terrified. They're terrified because for the first time they realize how great and how powerful this Jesus is. And they don't quite still understand that he is God in human flesh. They won't probably understand that fully till, the, till after the resurrection. But now they get a glimpse of just how great and powerful Jesus is. So we're going to state that right up front. Mark's gospel in chapter 1 verse 1 says that he really writes this gospel so that you will know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He says this is the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God and he's wanting to reveal that truth to every single person who reads this passage. Jesus is not some ordinary man, he's not some extraordinary man he's not some great moral leader not some great teacher not some powerful miracle worker he's none other than the son of god and so we start with jesus uh let's get into this passage i'm going to sort of go through this bit by bit i was going to say this about our society we have a society that knows the name of jesus but doesn't know jesus they know the name of jesus everyone in your in your world knows the name of Jesus. I don't care whether they're an atheist, an agnostic, someone who's gone to church once in their life, never ever set foot in a church. Everyone in our society still knows the name of Jesus. Is that correct? They know the name of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. Secondly, they use the name of Jesus. I play golf often with a lot of non-Christian people. They use the name of Jesus. 
but they don't call on the name of Jesus. They don't call on the name of Jesus. Jesus desires that we know him and that we call on his name. So let me uh, start verse 35. Um, that day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, the other side of the lake that they were crossing. Um, he sort of gives them a rough idea, but Jesus often, and in this case, he doesn't give them a specific place that they're going to. And this is classic of Jesus. Jesus doesn't reveal exactly where they're going. And he rarely reveals the next step. When you go on a, on a, like a package holiday, you get the full itinerary. You know, on, on Monday, we'll be going to such and such. And then on Tuesday, we'll be staying here. And on Wednesday, we'll be going there. When Jesus calls his disciples, he never gives them an itinerary. Right? That's true for the first disciples, and that's true for us. Jesus calls us to follow him, and then he says, trust me. Follow me and trust me. I'm not showing you exactly where I'm going, and, I'll, and I'll, it'll only be revealed one step at a time and I think there's something in this kind of story like many of Jesus stories let's just go we're going somewhere what are we going to do there I'll let you know when we get there who are we going to speak with or talk to I'll let you know when we get there exactly where are we going I'll let you know let's just get in the boat and we're going come with me Um, and the point I want to make out of this is that the journey is often as important as the destination the journey is often as important as the destination But in life, we get caught up a lot of the time thinking about destinations, right? Uh, For you guys being mostly young people, there's a whole lot of destinations that that some of you think about and perhaps long to reach. And often that desire to get to the destination stops you actually appreciating the journey because God wants to teach you things in the journey even more so than perhaps the destination. You might be single and desire to be married and you just want to get to that point. They kind of think that's going to be, you know, that's, that's my destination I want to reach. But actually, maybe God wants to continue to teach you things in the journey. You might want to be hitting some career goal. You might want to end your study, you know, get to the end of that degree so you can get the degree and get a job. Or you might have a job and then you might have a career goal. I'd love to get to this point in my career. And all of those things you can focus on the destination. And if you're so focused on the destination, you don't actually learn through the journey whereas Jesus actually wants to teach you in the journey in the journey day by day step by step as you trust him now here's the interesting thing these disciples end up in the most scary moment in their life in a storm when they think they're going to die when they're absolutely terrified why do they end up in that moment because they were obedient to who Jesus is the answer Jesus is always the answer Jesus God the Bible that's the Sunday school answer. <laughs> they were obedient to Jesus and so they followed him on the journey and that obedience led them into the middle of a storm. Isn't that interesting? Very often we think that Jesus' plan is that he's going to lead us around the storm, prevent us from having the storm or if we face the storm, just end it like that. He does end it like that in this story. But I want, to see, want you to see the journey Jesus leads them into a storm. And, uh, and I want to say this, that Sometimes people have got faith 180 degrees around the wrong way. We hope faith leads us to an easy life where our problems are solved. But I believe that the invitation of Jesus is into an adventure of faith where uh, we are called out of the ordinary and into a holy life of trust. And if following Jesus isn't leading you into a place where you've really got to trust him and there's uncertainty and you're stretched, then maybe step into something 
afresh in a new ministry or a new mission or be bolder, take some risks because that's what Jesus calls us into. Jesus invites us into an adventure of faith that contains many storms and struggles but is in the storms and through these storms we come to know that he is Lord. Uh, Frodo, remember Frodo? Lord of the Rings? Who's seen Lord of the Rings? Wow, who hasn't seen Lord of the Rings? Wow, quite a lot of people, okay? This is not going to make a lot of sense to you, my story here. So Frodo's this little guy, he's a hobbit, and he's got hairy feet and doesn't wear shoes. That's pretty much Frodo. Um, He lives in a hobbit hole, right? Hobbits live in holes, and they love a comfortable life. They love to have second breakfast and then elevenses and have just sit around having cups of tea all day and they've got this really comfy existence and then Gandalf comes along and this is what sort of starts this whole story and he calls Frodo out of the hobbit hole and says you've got to go on an adventure and so I think that some people think that Jesus is like saying that the purpose of Jesus is to come and give us the life in the hobbit hole where we get to have second breakfast and elevenses and a comfy life. But then Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm going to call you out of the hobbit hole to go and live a life of adventure. And that doesn't mean that he's got to call you literally out of your house to go and live overseas because there's a mission field overseas, but there's also a mission field right here. This is not about location. This is about heart attitude. Jesus calls us into a mission. And Jesus wants us in that mission as we go on the journey to live by faith and to not allow fear to overcome us and paralyze us you see we're in a spiritual battle and as we go on the journey we have a spiritual enemy who will often want to use fear to stop you from living the life that God calls you to and sometimes we feel the fear and we don't know where it comes from or what it's about or we allow it to overwhelm us But that is not what God's desire is. My favorite verse of scripture, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's what fear does. Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. So if if fear keeps you worried all the time about what people think of you, that's not God's best for you. If fear keeps you, makes you find it very difficult to even come into the church building, that's not God's ultimate desire for you if fear leads you not to serve and use your gift or ability uh, for whatever reason that's not God's plan for you if fear prevents you from being known as a Christian in your workplace or sporting team or uni group or mum's group that's not God's best for you if fear leads you to not share your faith with a friend who doesn't know Jesus that's not God's best for you If you were to think about the Alpha course and you think of someone that you invite, but you don't invite them just because of fear, that's not God's best for you. God's plan is not to avoid the storm, but often to go through the storm so that we grow through it. Uh, I also want to make a point here, verse 35. It says, leaving the crowd behind. Leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was. Strange turn of phrase. Kind of means that he didn't pack or get changed or anything. They just jumped in the boat. They took him in the boat and it says there were also other boats with him. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but how many of you realise that when they crossed the lake in the boat, there were actually other boats with them? It's an interesting kind of thing. And uh, I don't exactly know what I draw out of that, but it's an interesting thing (laughs) that there were other boats. But not everyone went. The vast majority of the crowd stayed exactly where they were. 
And there's something about Jesus that, that Jesus constantly draws a crowd, but often the crowd doesn't go with him. Particularly, it reminds me of when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he draws a crowd who are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the king, here comes the king, and there's this great crowd. But of course, later in the week, there's no crowd following Jesus. We're going to ask ourselves, are you part of the crowd or are you going to be part of the committed? Are you a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus? I've been part of uh, vibrant churches with young adult ministries my whole life. And I was part of a university Christian group with many, many young adults, part of it, of course, at uni. And in all of those churches and in the university Christian group, there were people who were part of the crowd, but actually weren't part of the committed. And sadly, as time went on, it, was, it, was, it became clear that they were part of the crowd. They were enjoying hanging out with the crowd, but they actually weren't going deep in a relationship with Jesus. They actually weren't going deep as disciples of Jesus. They actually weren't part of the committed, and then they fell away. It's very sad. So, um, continuing on the text, verse 36. Uh, Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in a boat. There was other boats with them. And then a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So they're on the Sea of Galilee, which um, just to make things confusing is not a sea at all. The Sea of Galilee is a lake. Uh, At its widest, it's about 12 kilometres wide and it's about 20 kilometres north to south. And the Sea of Galilee is often glassy calm. It's surrounded by mountains, including very tall mountains. And um, in the very north, uh, is a mountain, I've totally forgotten the name of which, Nick will know because he's a Bible scholar, tall mountain in Israel. Um. <laughs> so, anyway, someone? Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, correct, the winner is Debbie Grace. And Mount Hermon in Israel has near permanent snow, did you know that? I think Israel is desert. And the surrounding hills around the Sea of Galilee are green and beautiful and there's this beautiful lake. And I've had the absolute privilege of sailing on the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, but a storm, the storms can come up because, the, because of the geography. Storms can come either from the mountains or they come up through the, the uh, Jordan Rift Valley and it can turn into this massive storm all of a sudden. That's what happens in this story. And they're in a, a little boat, probably held 10 to 15, was the typical kind of boat in that time and wasn't really designed for a storm you'd want to try to make sure there wasn't a storm coming but they're in the boat in the storm and they are absolutely fearing for their lives Uh, i don't know if you've ever been um down at the beach or even in a boat when when a big storm's blowing up right i i go to the york peninsula a lot we've got a family shack over there and there's i remember there was a a massive storm one night we're in our actual shack and we felt, thought the shack was going to blow down. It was so scary and we're in a shack, not even in a boat. That's next level to be in a boat. And in fact, this night our shack, the entire veranda, got ripped off and blown 30 metres over the roof. But they're in a boat, which is even scarier. And they're freaking out, understandably. But Jesus is asleep. He's having a nap. His head is on a cushion. Interestingly, this is the only time in all the Gospels when Jesus is recorded as sleeping. And it goes to the detail of saying he's, he's fast asleep, his head is on a cushion. And there's something in there, some scholars say this is revealing his humanity because he's just 
incredibly tired, that Jesus is fully human. He's not some super-powered kind of human-like person. He's actually fully human, but he's also divine, fully God. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the wind and the waves and the sea and the mountains, everything was made through him. And so he's not afraid, but he's asleep. They come to him and they say to him, some words I want to really focus in on. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I think those words are words that, if we're honest, at one time or another, probably all of us have asked. Jesus, God, don't you care? Don't you care? Have you ever asked that? Don't you care that I'm suffering? Don't you care that this illness, this, this diagnosis is terminal? Don't you care that I'm lonely? Don't you care that I'm stressed? Don't you care that I'm burdened? Jesus, don't you care? Most of us have probably asked the question that the disciples ask in this place. And so I want to talk to you about the fact, I've said this already, but the presence of the storm is not evidence that God does not care or evidence that God is not there. Jesus is sovereign and he has a good plan for your life, but it's a plan to make you holy, not comfortable. The presence of the storm is not evidence that God does not care, nor that he is not there and has abandoned you. Let me affirm something. God cares about you more than you will ever know. God cares about you more than you will ever know. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so if you're in a storm right now in your life, if you're in that place where you could possibly ask Jesus, don't you care? I want to say to you, he cares for you more than you'll ever know. He cares for you more than you'll ever know. If you, if you just hear that tonight, maybe you've heard enough. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, which is wonderful, beautiful images. But then it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. So, hey, when I'm in green pastures... When I'm like beside the still waters, I know you're there, God. But then the writer says this, even when I'm walking through the darkest valley, I know that you're there. The dark valley is not a sign that God has abandoned you. The storm in no way shows that God does not care. Jesus stands up and he says, he rebukes the waves, uh, the wind, and he says to the waves, quiet, be still. Now, I kind of would love to know how Jesus says things. Like, does he just, does he just whisper it? Like, be still. Like, oh, that's, that wasn't a whisper. Okay. Does he just say like, with a, just like a really quiet voice, just like, be still? Or does he like stand up and just shout at the storm, be still? I don't know. I don't know because, <laughs> you know, no one was recording this. Um, but it was fascinating to think about how Jesus says things. And we don't really know, but he, he says to the storm, quiet, be still. And then in that moment, in the midst of this incredible storm, it is silent. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how absolutely freaky that would be? You're in the middle of this storm and then bang, the storm is stilled. 
The disciples have been in fear for their lives. But now uh, they're actually absolutely terrified because they've recognised there is a power. There is, a, there is someone here who's gotten a, a power and authority that they haven't even grasped. This guy commands the wind and the waves and they obey him. So what do we make out of that? Firstly, sometimes we forget that Jesus is in our boat and that he's with us in our storm. Jesus, the all-powerful God in human flesh, is with us in our boat. You know what I'm saying? That he's with us in the storm and that he's with us in every circumstance. Sometimes we get so busy bailing water that we actually forget to pray and reach out to Jesus. Well, one good thing these disciples did is that they went and woke up Jesus. They they weren't expecting him to calm the storm, right? Because they're freaked out when that actually happens. But they did know one really good thing reach out to Jesus and call out to him and press in to be near him in the storm. So often we go it alone, we try to solve our own problems, we're so independent, we're taught to be independent and there's something partly that's good about that but there's something partly that's really wrong about that because we should be calling out and depending on God in all circumstances. So remember Jesus' presence, press in for more of his presence in the storm. Secondly, Remember his power. When they call out to Jesus, they're not expecting him to calm the storm. They're probably expecting him, like wanting him to help them bail out the boat, right? Grab a bucket and help us out here, Jesus. What are you doing sleeping? We need your help here. There's water's coming in. Grab a bucket, help us out, start bailing water. And sometimes we kind of ask Jesus for too little. We ask him to like help us bail out water instead of calming the storm. I believe that in the West, we too often live with a disempowered Jesus. Not because he is disempowered, but because we expect or ask too little of him. We believe academically and intellectually that God is an all-powerful God. But in practice, I think we actually throw our actions. We don't even believe this. How slow we are to pray to God. How slow we are to pray to God. And I know myself that by my own nature my fallen nature I get a problem I start troubleshooting I start trying to solve it I start having a meeting I start talking about it I start worrying about it and then somewhere down the track what do I remember to do pray pray but I'm learning I'm learning sometimes I get woken up early in the morning um and, I, and if I'm worrying about something, I'm thinking about something, this is what I've learned to do now. I will just start praying. I'll just start praying. Pray, pray, pray. Remember his power. Remember his power. And uh, remember his presence. Remember his power. And finally, remember his, his promises. Remember his promises. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still, do you still have no faith? Faith cancels out, fear cancels out faith, but faith cancels out fear. Jesus' promise in the end is that I can guarantee you every single storm will pass. In eternity, you will not be terrified in a boat by a storm. You'll be with Jesus and there will be absolute assurance of that. So whether the storm passes in this life or whether you struggle with something, um, the storm will pass. The storm will end and Jesus will bring you 
hope and peace. Perfect love drives out fear. So let me ask you tonight, have you forgotten who is with you? Have you forgotten his great power? Have you forgotten his promises? I remind you that you're not alone. God loves you more than you could possibly know. I'm going to invite the band up now. We're going to lead into song. But do you need to speak to him in prayer tonight? Is there something that you need to pray? You don't you can go up the back and pray. Um, I'll hang out down the front. You can come and pray with me afterwards. But actually, just during worship, it's a powerful thing sometimes. Everyone's singing around you. You can actually just take your storm to God and pray. Or you get home at the end of the night and it's time just to say, hey, in your bed as you're quiet and you're in your, on your own. Whatever it is. But if you're in the midst of a storm, take your storm to God. Cry out to Him. Press into Him. Pray a big prayer. And know that he will hear you and he will meet you and he loves you. Let's get on our feet. We're going to worship now. A God who is bigger than the storm. This is the God we worship. This is why we proclaim Jesus is Lord. This is why. Because Jesus defeated the storm and Jesus defeated sin and he defeated death. And he's, that's why he's worthy of our praise. So let's worship tonight. And if you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you. Um, Mike and Christy would love to pray with you. And let's or just pray right where you are between you and God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.